Welcome back to the Jambos Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Schwimmer, and on today's show, we got some new and exciting things to go over. First of all, we have a very, very special guest, Matt from Plus EV Analytics is going to come on and talk about just Jambos and talk what we're doing in the industry, more of a business type conversation. All right, well, let's jump right into this interview. Here with Matt is Twitter handle plus EV analytics. He's a full-time actuary, part-time gambler, been betting on sports for over 10 years, uh, has had three articles written about him and Pinnacle and uh, also been on the Deep Dive podcast. It's a really pleasure to have you join us. Thanks for coming on, Matt. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. So I'm, I'm, I'm here as, I guess, somewhat of an ambassador of the gambling Twitter community because there, there have been lots of really great discussions uh, with with you and the Jambos folks about uh, some of the some of the things you guys are doing, and I think some of the things are are a little bit too nuanced and uh, complicated to be hashed in over Twitter. So that's, that's why I'm here today to have, try and have some of those conversations and uh, and get some of those answers out. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I, I do completely agree with you. A lot of people say answer on Twitter. I'm like, it's 280 characters, and I don't have all the time in the day, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think the podcast setting is great. And again, I really appreciate you agreeing to to come on. So I think again, we'll handle this more as like a conversation. You feel free to ask me some questions. I'll probably ask you some as well. But it'll be mostly you coming to me to get an understanding more about what Jambos does and and why we do what we do. All right, fantastic. So let's just start with a little bit of background. So, so what, what are we doing here? Why are we here? So you, you, you had to expect that the business of selling picks would be less than a smooth ride, as, as you've said many, many places. It's not the, uh, the, the most reputable industry. So what, why, why have you chosen to be a part of this? Why did you start Jambos, and what do you think your, your advantage is over the markets? Well, not being I, – I think you, you gave the – selling pick community that I think that was too nice of you to say that. Uh, I mean, it is to me, I'm not sure if there's a worse legal industry in the United States, arguably tobacco industry, things of that nature. But to me, the sports selling pick industry is probably the worst legal industry, um, you know, in the United States. And, and to give you some background on, on us. So, and why we're able to, to do what we do. I started a company called uh, Big League Advance several years ago. It's a data analytic company predicting futures of minor league players, raised uh, several funds in order to do that. Um, partnered up with Paul D. Podesta, the Moneyball guy who's uh, you know the Jonah Hill character in the movie, and uh, ended up, again, using our analytics to be able to predict which minor league players are going to make it, which ones aren't, and give them money in exchange for a future share of their earnings on a no-risk basis. It's a, not a loan, it's an investment, meaning the player doesn't make it, he keeps all the money um you know in our business model there's seven thousand minor leaguers less than 10 percent will play one day in the major leagues less than five percent uh will make millions of dollars and our analytics our first fund we had 77 players of which now 40 are in the major leagues and all of which are that we don't get first round picks so these the numbers are actually much less for us um and the you know again that success with the data analytics there in baseball uh, translated to a second fund. We raised $130 million for a second fund to do this, and we're currently in the midst of doing that. But with the management fee we got from this, I wanted to start something new. And, and sports gambling still is not in the picture at this point, but I wanted to build this like sports analytic team essentially like private team that could do be flexible nimble to do a lot of different things in the sports world so i talked to again paul de podesta and sam hinky as well who's the trust the process guy from the 76ers who's again uh, in our in our baseball fund say look i want to try to build this team he's 
data scientists, people a heck of a lot smarter than I am to be able to you know build models. I don't know what we're going to do. And we got this really good group. We got a guy from you know, the Dodgers, the director of analytics from the Pistons, the NBA League office, like all these guys coming around uh, from a, a multitude of sports, these data scientists and data engineers. And we thought, like, how are we going to make money now? Right. Um, and there was a lot of ideas we threw together, but the idea was predicting outcomes of games. The idea is if we can predict outcomes of games, we can use our services as consulting teams. We'd go to the New York Knicks and say, hey, you've got a 30% chance to win this game, but if you use these lineups, these plays, etc., you might have a 42% chance to win or whatever the case may be. Uh, but unfortunately, teams weren't necessarily open to that, and they wanted us to prove it. And how best to prove you're the best at predicting outcomes of games in the sport betting world. Um, and that's how we got into sports betting is because it's a scorecard. It, you know, we look at every bet as a, you know, every day you, you get a scorecard. It's very similar to like finance industry, buying and selling stocks. And so we started doing this in uh, last year in 2018. Our models were ready for college basketball. We did college basketball first only because it wasn't really a rhyme or reason except for it was the next sport up. And on December 8th, our models were, uh, were ready to go. But uh you know, to see how they work. So at that point, uh, and this is kind of answering questions more later that, that a lot of Twitter people have asked about our record. Um, at that point, we hired a accounting firm, a top 10 nationally recognized accounting firm, Cone Resnick, to review, verify all our picks. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to take a step back because before getting to that point uh, in the sports betting world, before even doing that, we had a, this is where Rufus Peabody comes in. He, he came in, worked with us for about a month, um, not really worked with us, but really helped us out in terms of understanding how to, you know, modeling in the sports betting space, but really helped us in the tout industry. I mean, what we're doing here at Jambos is essentially a brainchild of what Rufus uh, explained to us of what he hates about touts and selling picks and Rufus basically you know he said we hate you Rufus hates tout. he hates everything about selling picks right he's very vocal and clear about that on Twitter and I asked why you know why is that and I've looked over and I of course feel the same way he feels but these guys are as you said these are scam artists these are guys that are selling false picks with bad lines they are posting records that don't exist they're they're you know i've got my five-star picks are eight no but what about your whole record and most important they're not transparent but most importantly they're not financially accountable for their pick recommendations they're not so if you lose they say buy more picks you know it's completely unacceptable it's disgusting and, and these are these are snake oil salesmen and this is not this this is again this is what rufus kind of explaining all this stuff to me so i wanted to create a service that did absolutely none of those things that did the exact opposite that gave people a chance to subscribe to a service that was financially accountable for their pick recommendations that was fully transparent and so when I say financially accountable, that's obviously means, you know, if our picks don't win and you buy a package, we are going to lose money as a company. It's not fair for us to give out losing picks and for us not to be financially harmed by that. Um, in the game is always, a, is always a good thing. Yes, we um, have the max skin in the game. Exactly right. I mean, to, to ridiculous degrees with our 1,000-pick package that costs $3,000, we'll give you $10,000 back if we can't beat the market. That's how confident you know, we are in our stuff. And so, again, that, that was – we're talking to, with Rufus a lot about how much he hates the industry and, and building a company that addresses every single one of his problems and concerns was something I think would be great for the – gambling community instead of these people I mean, these guys are making hundred million dollars a year in total these touts and why would anyone subscribe to any of these terrible touts when they can instead sign up for picks that 
the people that actually believe in what they're doing and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. That was the idea. Let me let me just just poke a little bit at, at, at what you're saying because I, I kind of heard a couple of different things in terms of why you're doing this. The, the first one, which makes a lot of sense, is to prove to prospective future employers slash customers slash whatever that you guys do have the analytical sophistication um, that, that, that can help them out. But the other one is to sort of reform the, the tout industry. And those are, those are pretty different goals because if you're Correct. If you're looking to prove out your model, you don't necessarily have to sell picks to do that. You can just, just keep good records and say, hey, I, could, I beat the model for three years. You know, I know what I'm doing. So how do, you, how do you square those two things? Yeah, we are trying to kill two birds with one stone. You're exactly right. There's These are definitely two different goals, but we can accomplish them both at the same time. And so when we started selling, when we started doing the picks, yeah, we started our first like beta test in fe- on in February 12th. Um, we had a, almost 100 subscribers. It was 1,500 bucks. If the picks didn't win, you got $3,500 back. Um, betting the recommended units, those picks, you know, those subscribers made over $5,000 after uh, including our fee expenses. And then that's where we could have continued to sell our picks, but we actually went the way you described. And we said, you know what? Let's give them out for free to everybody. We don't need to sell the picks. We're a company. We don't certainly don't need the money. We want to you know, show everybody that we're the best at predicting outcomes of games, right? So we were free for everyone all the way up until football season. And we had over 500 people re- being registered users to our site. Um, Rufus, of course, one of them. But the biggest reason was to go out and selling picks to the public this is not my space. This is not my area. I don't really know much about this area. I wanted to make sure I was doing it the right way. And if we posted everything to the public, surely people on Twitter or other people would start poking holes in a lot of the things we were doing. And that happened. Rufus did that to say, Hey, you know, we started posting, we started doing this stuff. Um, we were doing the best line available because we're getting a lot of feedback from subscribers. Hey, I don't want to line shop and take all the time to do it. You tell me where the best line is, the best book, and that's what we're going to use. So we did that. But then over time, people started complaining, hey, I'm not able to get the lines that you're getting, right? Um, so that's why we changed. We say, okay, we'll use the the, uh, the market consensus line, which we define as bookmaker uh, and bet Chris. So you know, those are the things that evolved over time. And before we wanted to sell picks to everybody, we wanted to make sure we had a product that, you know, what we don't think it's, you know, nothing's going to be perfect is close to perfect you know, as we could have it. And the other part is getting people to understand what we're doing. We have a track record going up through baseball when we were free at this ridiculously good track record, but nobody was following on. I had the idea of like, if you build it, they will come. If you post winning picks consistently, people will come, people will see it. It just didn't happen that way. And so, you know, once we started doing this subscription service and putting these guarantees out, now everybody in the world, we get Bloomberg, Axios, you know, the Twitter spheres all over. And so everybody now is hearing about us. And again, the goal of the subscription service is not to make money and get subscribers. Are we happy when that happens? Of course, right? But the goal is more to have as many witnesses as we can. And by selling the picks, the amount of free registered users has gone through the roof from 500 to thousands of now people that are registered users following along what we're doing. And that's, so again, both those goals, we believe we're achieving simultaneously. 
Can't Why don't you give him up for ten bucks then instead of three thousand? Just playing devil's advocate. Pricing was a really interesting question here. You know, we're both the cheapest and most expensive subscription service I think around. So, like our biggest package is over a thousand picks, costs three thousand dollars for our seventeen week package. That's really expensive. But on a per pick basis, it's actually two to three dollars a pick, which is actually one of the cheapest subscription service on a per pick basis. So, it kind of goes both ways. And to answer your question, we did exactly what you said. I mean, we did this thing for free, not even ten bucks, for free for a very long time and nobody heard of us nobody knew about us so again there's two goals here right in order to achieve both goals we had to feel like we wanted a you know to destroy the tout service in order to destroy the tout service we have to do this and give people an option uh you know to to put their money with people that put their money where their mouth is and so you know with us again if you lose we'll never have customers pay for losing picks and i think that's extremely extremely important so let's talk about your record because you, you, you bring that up and you, you, you do post uh, every time, every day you post your record, you have this cumulative uh, record at Market Consensus Lions. I, I think there's an important distinction here because there, there's, there's really two skills that go into winning at this. Number one is line shopping and number two is skilled handicapping. And I think those two are, you know, some people have one, some people the other have, some people have both. But there's definitely a distinction between um, being good at line shopping and being a skilled handicapper. So, so there, there have been some questions raised on Twitter, even, even as late as, as last night, about some of the, the accuracy and transparency of, of your bet history and the fact that um, there was a switchover from, from using uh, best available line to market consensus line and, and you know, the, the, um, the record of individual plays only going back to February 13. Uh, even though your claimed uh, record goes back further than that. So how, how would you comment on that? Uh, yeah, those are great points. And so I'll, I'll comment very easily. So we were using the best available line in the market. Then we switched over, I believe, on August 19th or 20th. However, we went back. Our record that you see posted is against Bet Chris. Even though we were doing it against the best available line, those records are not in our record. The records that you see that we post every day are all 100% against bookmaker bet Chris. So we, it's not like our human record was based off of line shopping and then not every, all those records are 100% bet Chris and bookmaker. Well, the numbers would be much higher if we used the market, um, uh, the best available line in the market. Now, as for the picks before the individual recommendations before February 12th, we do not post on the website. Again, I tweeted this out before we started these packages and made it all extremely clear and fully transparent what we've done with our records. And so like people wanna, everyone wants to say on our record, hey, only count the picks since you were available to the public. Other people say, no, only count the picks when, you're, when you started doing the paid subscriptions. Others say, no, only start the picks on the 17 week. So we post everything, fully transparent, absolutely everything. So the picks before uh, February 13th, again, we're independently verifiable at Cone Resnick. You can go to our site and ask for the copy of the report. We, we've sent out the report at least to a dozen people already because they were curious about that. But the idea being those picks, again, are all versus the Bet Chris uh, recommendation line where you see all our consensus record. But we don't want to post those individually picks because we did not post those at the time. We didn't, and so if I were to go back and post those individual plays, now I'm re, I'm, I'm doing exactly what bad touts that I hate are doing, which is going back and posting picks that you did not post uh, to the public. That said, when the people were buying our packages in February of 13, they were trusting the independently verifiable record, and they want to keep those those records there. So if we take those records out, those people. 
that again, the 500 plus people that were following us from the beginning, they want to see those records and continue seeing that. So, you know, it's one of the situations you just can't please everybody. So what I decided to do was again, be fully transparent, explain everything about our records, when they're kept, where they're kept. So if you're someone that says, you know what, I don't believe anything that wasn't publicly available, then erase them. Don't take those into account. And we're still up, I think, what, 75 units without those? Yeah, it's certainly a noble thing to say, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to count uh, picks made before before you were, you were posting to the public. But normally that, that would include not, not counting those as part of your, your record as well. And I don't think there would be any any complaints. Well, that's not true. There are always going to be complaints. But it would be a lot quieter if, if you didn't include them in your record as well. But well, you any, nobody has to include them. I mean, this is that. that's why we post everything. So if you personally don't want to include them, you don't. Again, others don't want to include anything that's not until our paid subscriptions. That's fine. You don't have to do that. That's, it's all the people's choice. We give the people ev- all the information, fully transparent, loud and clear, and let them decide what they want to count, what they don't want to count. It's not up to me. Well, We're just being... Something you just said about the, 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 uh, the market consensus lines or the, or the Chris lines. So let me just get this straight. Because um, you have some records on there, for example, a college basketball game where, where you bet it at, let's say, DraftKings at plus three and a half. Um, if the Chris line was plus two and a half at the same time for the same game, are you saying that in your record you would have graded it at the two and a half, not the three and a half? Absolutely correct. And all you can see all that on our website. You can go to the individual plays. We have our record versus the opening line and the not the opening line, the line that we released it at and the um, – bookmaker line so we have both of those on the website for everyone to see so you'll see that it'll count as a loss for the uh um the bookmaker in that example and a win for the DraftKings. so you'll see against best available line it's a win and against uh bookmaker it's a loss and the only records we post are the records against bookmaker we do not post anything that is against the market consensus or excuse me the market uh, the best available line that's correct makes sense okay so i'll i'll, I'll... Ask this one more time, and then I'll move on. The, the records before February 13, is there any reason, because you're including them in the record anyway, is there any reason not to just release them just to, to shut people up who... who yeah, the re- I mean, do you think we should do that and post plays to our website that we didn't post to the public, that we didn't post to anybody? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. If they're included in your record, I'd say yes. Okay. I mean, again, uh, that, that that's something that's... You know, again, Rufus was very against that. Um, and I, look, he's not the authority on any of this stuff, right? I mean, it's a, I've heard both ways. I've heard people say never post anything that you don't post to the public, right? But then if you want to see those, I mean, I got no problems with that, personally. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, I mean, I can't force you to do anything, but I think that that's no, it's a good suggestion. The Twitter community would appreciate it. It's a good suggestion. All right, so let's uh, let, let's let's uh, get into something that everyone has been waiting for a discussion on. The, the teaser heard around the world. So week three NFL, you tease Minnesota from minus nine to minus two and a half, and you tease the LA Chargers from minus three to plus three and a half, six and a half point teaser at minus one thirty. Now, conventional wisdom on teasers has two kind of unbreakable rules. You always must go through both the three and the seven, and you must never go through the zero. And the logic on that is pretty obvious, that you're, you're buying a number in the zero that is pretty close to worthless. So if you don't mind sharing your, your, your strategy as much as you can behind the famous teaser. Yes, no, no problem. And for the record, teasing through zero is almost always a bad idea. 
Okay. I mean, it's very, very rare instances. We, we looked at like the back test stuff. I mean, I'm talking one to two times a year. Does it make mathematical sense to go to zero? In this case, it definitely made mathematical sense. And I'm going to go through the math exactly on this step by step. So the line at the time was the Chargers minus three, minus 119. I mean, the implied odds there are 54.5% if you, in order to win that bet, right? We believe, you know, if you take out excluding the pushes, meaning the push, take it equal on both sides, you have the, the Chargers to cover that bet at 56.2%. So we had a 1.7% edge on the charge. This is not a big enough edge for us to release to the public. Okay. Now what we do, or and again, I'm going to try to do this the best way I can explain. I'm going to give you, you know, essentially like a hypothetical of what could happen. I don't want to give you the exact scenario, but it'll make perfect sense if you, if you bear with me. So if you model out every single uh, probability of a game landing on a number. So, so meaning the Chargers to win by one point all the way up to 50 points and the Texans to win by one point all the way up to 50 points and say, okay, what's the likelihood of the Texans to win by 17 points exactly? There's a number, right? So what we had, if you go through all the numbers, including and through zero, right? The Chargers to win by three points exactly 8.3% of the time. Now, that fits in line with all market stuff. It's about 9% of the time a team that's favored by three ends up winning by three, exactly about 9%. So we actually were lighter than the market. Again, 8.3%, if you're writing this all down, 8.3% of the time we thought the Chargers were going to win by three. 1.3% of the time they're going to win by two. Okay, very unlikely. 2.1% of the time they're going to win by one. 0.3% of the time they're going to win by zero. I think this is also interesting because it's 0.3%. It's a tie. Now, I think people think, I think zero oh, can't ever happen, especially with the new rules of the NFL, which are factored into our model. You can get, I mean, these ties happen once a year, which is again, if there's 265 games, uh, 56 games, excuse yeah. me. No, no dispute there. Yep. I'm with you. Um, the Texans to win by one is 1.8. The Texans to win by two is 1.1. The Texans to win by three is 5.2. Okay, so if you add all those percentages up, that comes out to 76.3%. We would believe that the Chargers have that big of a chance to cover uh, plus three and a half points. But the important issue is compare it to the Vikings. We had the Vikings at T's down to two and a half again through the three and the seven, as you pointed out, at an 81% likelihood they're minus two and a half. Okay, so those combined probabilities is 61.8% that's going to win. But now, as you very astutely mentioned, the bet is minus 130. The implied odds of a minus 130 bet, 56.52%. Thus, giving us an edge on the teaser at 5.28% in total, meaning that is above our threshold and able to release that pick. Again, these are examples of the numbers that we could have to make that teaser be mathematically accurate. Um, so that's it's kind of a perfect storm, right? So you, so you, uh, you have a juiced up minus three, which is a nice starting point, and, and you have a second leg in Minnesota that you have a strong, strong edge on. And that I think yeah, you 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 you've already you probably already gave out Minnesota on its own as a pick, and you want to, exactly. want to increase your exposure to Minnesota. Is that is that? Yeah, that's exactly accurate? right. And one of the things this is also an interesting thing that you know, especially on the bet the podcast pod with bet the podcast. Uh, wait, Jesus. All right, I'm, you know what? We're gonna go this live. Bet the process podcast <laughs> um, with Jeff Monrivas. Yeah, you know, they brought up you know 
you're right. Like we had our second, our biggest edge of the week was the Bengals, which was our best bet on daily wager. Our second biggest edge was the Vikings. Um, and our third biggest edge was the bears. We happened to win all the three biggest edges, but went 10 and 10 in the week, of course is how it goes. But, uh, always, always complain as a gambler. Right. But the, um, Vikings were our second biggest edge. We had a minus nine. And then we also had them in two teasers. Now we can't say the Vikings are three units because everything we do is one unit based because that was a huge thing that Rufus brought up was you got to make everything one unit because you don't want to be that guy that's like, again, the three, my three star picks are 15 and oh, or whatever that is. Right. So we wanted to be everything one unit, even though that is not the way to bet is to equal out everything. But we also don't want to give out every single edge on every single one of our models because that's obviously problematic as well. So in order to get more exposure, if you want like a two-unit play, you tease it up or bet the first half. We do a lot of correlated plays. We're very open about like doing a first half in game. Um, again, all through our records, you can see that. So again, it was a, exactly right. When you have a juiced up minus three and then you have a game that you love with the Vikings, it was this perfect storm that just made sense mathematically. We had a 5.28% edge. It didn't win. And that's... Uh, you know, Philip Rivers' fault, not mine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> cool. Well, I, I, uh, thanks, thanks for the explanation. I don't have a, I don't have a model good enough to, to verify each of your individual percentages, but the logic certainly does make sense. So we'll, we'll throw it up there and we'll let the fine people of gambling Twitter be the judge. Um, it, it, it's a good segue into the next question about bankroll requirements, talking about you know flat betting, and, and you know it makes sense that that's the, the structure that you've laid out for for your whole system and. and you know, a common question on Twitter is how much bankroll do you need? I'm not going to ask you that because I don't believe it's an answerable question. It depends on, you know, wins to date, losses to date, fees paid to date, and, and how much money is in play at any particular time. Um, the one thing I do want to ask you, however, is, is about the number of bets you have on the go at the same time because your disclosures said something like you're going to have an average of nine per day. But when you're a subscriber thinking about how much capital they need to, to play your system as it's meant to be played, the average number of plays per day doesn't matter. What matters is that the, the largest number of plays you're going to have simultaneously at any particular time. So if you're going to have 20, 30, 40 bets in play at the same time, your customers have to know that and they have to have enough capital on hand to be able to be rolled for, for you know 300 times 30 or 300 times 40 bets. Not that they're all going to lose, but obviously you can't, you know, you can't bet money you don't have on in your account wherever you're betting these things. So what would you say is the maximum number of simultaneous plays that your customers should be rolled for? No, that's a great, great question. Uh, all parts of that question were, were outstanding. And we post, we say we average nine recommendations per day, but the very next sentence to be uh, extremely clear here, we say that, you know, we will post games on, we say, I think exactly, I don't have it in front of me, but we will post games on Tuesday for Sunday games. And for Saturday games. So it could be, and by the way, the nine recommendations is probably accurate. You know, we're in this time where we have, we have three of our four sports, MLB, NFL, NCAA football. When MLB goes down, we're going to have a lot less than that. We're just in a really obviously high time and we'll get, we'll creep back up as well. When, when college basketball uh, starts again, we wanted to give a minimum recommendations because we didn't want to have to give forced picks out because you know, that are, that aren't edges on our model. So we could be looking at on our 17 week package upwards of 1400 picks possibly, but again, it's not up to me. It's up to what the model has an edge percentage on. And we use our back test to determine that we were extremely confident over 17 weeks. We'll have at least a thousand plays, but we were always estimating, you know, in the 1200 to 1300 range there for the 17 week plan. Um, but again, you don't really want to say that because anytime you're outside, they'd be like, oh, you said this. And, and the bankroll question is a great, great question because there will be times during the NFL and college football season, you will have 40 plays out there. 
Absolutely. And again, we made that very clear in our FAQs that that is what we are going to do. I'm really happy you said the bankroll question is impossible to answer because the Twitter sphere obviously does not understand that. They want an exact number, um, which is impossible, which, which is, by the way, you know, if I could predict the future and know exactly how the packages would go and exactly when we would win and lose, then I could tell you that answer. You know, unfortunately, you know, we can't do that at this point. So, um, yeah, but, I think there is a middle ground, though, because you, know, you can't have a bankroll number, but. If I'm a subscriber and I've got an account, let's say, at, at, at Bookmaker, uh, I, I, can, can I, I can't have an infinite amount of money in that account, right? So I have to have enough in there. So I'm, I'm going to make... confidently be able to, to make your picks. So I, I think, just to, to, to put a suggestion out there, to, to, and the, not, the average of nine is irrelevant. It's, I, don't, I don't doubt it, but it's not, it's not the important question. The I important agree. Question, what's, the, what is the maximum number of picks that you will have in play at any given time, and if you say fifty, then then, then great. You know, three hundred bucks a pop. It's fifteen thousand dollars. Is how much your subscribers have to have in their account. Well, to be clear, I'll make cut you off there. To be clear, it's actually a lot more than that because remember, it's to win three hundred. So we might put out a baseball play at minus two hundred. You actually need six hundred for that. So minus one tens or three thirty. So if we have fifty plays, it's actually a lot more than fifteen thousand in your account that you're going to need. To be very clear, how do subscribers deal with that? Because they're they're not going to have obviously a million dollars in their account, but they want to be confident that they can play whatever you put out there. How how would you suggest that they deal with that? Well, let me ask you a question, and I'll answer that. I'll answer that question directly after you answer this question. I'll explain why this is a problem, right? So I'm not asking for an exact mathematical answer, but if you had just a ballpark, and we're not going to judge you here, if you had a ballpark like a number, what would you like ballpark? It would be in terms of bankroll, and then I'll answer your question directly. was in your position, what I would do is I would give myself a limit. I would say, okay, and it can be a high limit. I, you know, say it, say it, say it, it at 300 bucks a pop. Say it's 15k, and I would say I'm going to stop myself. You know, once so, I hit that 15k in play, I'm not going to release another recommendation until one of my other bets resolves, and that frees up some cash. So I think that you, you so, might lose a couple of recommendations that way. So let me explain why that. Let me explain. Some, some comfort. Let me explain why that's why that won't work. Right. So let's say we say, look, for a week, you're going to need $15,000 bankroll in order to get this thing going. Right. So let's say we do that. Okay. Now keep in mind, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, baseball's happening. Right. Now, how would I feel? How would you feel? Right. If someone says, you know what, I've got $13,000 I can, I can do this with, but you know what, the guy said 15. So now I'm not going to buy the package. I'm not going to buy the picks. Right. And now we end up doing really well the first few days and we end up possibly making a describe had he signed up he would have made you know twenty thousand bucks i'm making this all up i mean you made twenty thousand bucks and he would have only had the max he would have had to risk in his bankroll was only five thousand and now he's furious at me hey i would have signed up for this i would have done this but you told me fifteen thousand you cost me twenty thousand bucks chance right yeah, he can, you're gonna have that problem no matter what but it would other- go, and it would go the other way it would go the other way what happens if i said you know look you need twenty thousand Right. And now we start off with our, you know, the black week, we call it a Jambos. We were minus 19.77 units. You needed a hell of a lot more than that. And so those people are going to be furious. Hey, you said I needed 20,000. I needed a lot more than that. And they have a right to be upset about that. People are going to be upset anyway, because you're going to say, okay, I've got 40 picks out there at a time. And I, don't, I, 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 I can make the first 36 and then my, my account is empty. So I missed those last four picks. And if those last four picks win, those guys are going to be just as mad at you as, as they are in, in your situation, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. They're going to, no matter what, they're going to be mad, right? And if we say a number to them, 
now they're going to be mad. No matter what happens, they're going to be mad. So that's why we say, that's why we have our pick history. You can see from weeks one to four, every time we release picks, so you know exactly how many picks are being released at what time, so how many are available, so you can do the math in your head. Hey, you know what? I've got to, it's all about risk management. These people, we can't tell you, hey, the recommendation, the recommendation is 300, but who knows how many people are doing what, right? Everyone has a different risk tolerance. And so anytime we say a number, it could, it could really hurt us in both examples, you know, that I laid out. And so they, we have, that's why we post all our picks and why we timestamp all our picks. So you can go back and you can see for you particularly, you could say you personally, I'm talking to you, you say, look, there's 40 picks out there outstanding. So you know what? I'm going to need a $20,000 bankroll here. Great. You made that decision on your own. Not in real time, though, because if, the, if you've already released 38 and you don't know, do you release them all at the same time every day or are they continuous throughout the day? Um, we can. We have the ability to release from 11 a.m. to, I believe, like 10 p.m., but almost all, you know, um, yeah. we try to release everything from 11, 11 to 11.30 as we try to release I all of them. for the 36 that you put out, but if you put out a 37th in five minutes, I'm, I'm bankrupt. But you can see that through our fourth week. If you look at our four-week... Looking week, backwards. Not looking forward, though. Right? You're, you're in the moment where I, 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 my whole role is in play, and then that, that next pick comes up. I'm, well, that's, I'm, again, I'm, that's, that's up completely to up to you. So you could say, look, okay, in week four, in week three, you had 37 picks available at a time, right? But, hey, look, you know, the model might say 45 next week. I don't know. We don't, we don't know that answer. So you might say to yourself, okay, 37, you know, times $330, but then I'm going to add eight times 330 because I don't think they're going to go more than 45. I can't yeah, tell you. You're, you're right. It's, a, it's an intractable problem. The, the only way, and this is what I would recommend, you don't, you don't have to do it, would be to, to set a limit in terms of dollars in play. It can be in real time where I think it's fair to, to you know, if you say 15000 and you lose 2000 on, on Monday, you know, you can expect them to reload up the 15 for Tuesday. I think that's okay. But to say, hey, once I hit 15,000 in play, I'm putting the brakes on until the, the, the bet number one gets resolved and, and some capital gets freed up. Well, I think, first of all, I think it's a very good suggestion, and I, and I do appreciate hearing that. I just think that I, I feel like other people would have a big problem with saying, hey, look, you got, this week you got a $15,000 bankroll. Oh, we lost 2000 Reload up. Now it's a $17,000 bankroll for this week. Up, oh, reload up. Now it's a $20,000 bankroll for this week. Like going back on bankroll numbers midweek because of winning and losing, I think is extremely problematic, personally. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, again, similar, somewhat related topic, the, the, the topic of bet volume. This is another one that, that's, that's raised some, some good discussion on Twitter. So last Sunday, there were 14 NFL games, and you had 18 NFL plays. And, and normally, um, when you get into a predictive model like this, the, how it normally works, it might look at 100 plays, and it might like you know one or two or three of them. Your, your volume of bets is extremely high, and that suggests a pretty intense level of disrespect for the market because if you've got a number of the top market, either the market's wrong or you're wrong. Um, so how do you think about market efficiency in the context of your models? Yeah, we to be to be extremely blunt, we think we're better than the market on the pick on on the games that we pick over the course of all games that happen. We our stuff are like mean average error, all you know, all the mathematical stuff. We are not better than the market over all games. However, over the select games, we are. 
Um, we and we've proven that over three thousand picks. Uh, you know, and and we will hopefully continue to do so again over a large. You know, the more of a sample size, the better we get. Now it's important to note: fourteen games, eighteen picks. Fourteen games. You have first half team total. You have first half. Um, spreads. You have first half over unders. You have full game over unders. Full game spreads. You have money lines. You have potential teasers. So there's a lot more of the you know basically how I would look at it more so is of the you know call it almost a hundred potential bets we made eighteen, right? Not of the fourteen games we made eighteen. But but this is something that's a really good point that a lot all the you know. The sharps and all the professionals I know, and now at this point I know a ton of them. They're like, I've never seen anything like this. Like you're putting out so many, you're putting out like five times more plays than any other sharp that I know. And all I say is, it's just what our model says. Now, something interesting here to point out is a lot of sharps, a lot of people that I really like and respect, they regress their model towards the market. We do not. I want to make that very clear. We do not regress our model at all to the market because we believe that the market has information in it that is uncontrollable. Okay. And we believe that does closing line value exist? Absolutely. Of course. But what we feel like is when we've been on the other side of sharp action, we've actually had a lot more success. And this is over a thousand game sample that again, you could check for yourself. And what I mean by that is not like, do we beat the closing line or anything like that better than the line moves against us? Cause that's not the case. But what I'm saying is this, I'm gonna give you the exact scenario. Okay. So let's say the spread is minus seven in a game. All right. Our model likes it at minus 10. Okay. Now we never pick opening lines ever. Right, our, our MLB lines and our college basketball lines are same day lines, and our NFL football and our NCAA ba- and NCAA football are at least 12 hours after the lines come out. Okay, so let's say the line starts at minus seven. Our model has minus 10. Then, you know, presumably, I mean, you would know better than me, but doesn't sharp action move lines? Yeah, they, they, they would mark, they would move it from minus seven to minus 10. If, if no, but let's say so. Let's say right. So let's say that go from in that in that 12 hour time period, they like the dog. So the line's now minus five, okay? I'm using an example, right? So if the sharp, the line goes from minus seven to minus five, we have a better chance at winning that bet on the favorite at minus five. Now, again, I'm not saying where it closes, but at the time that we place it, when that line moves, we have a better chance to win that game at minus 10 than we would um, if the sharps go from minus seven and the sharps like the side that we like, and the line goes from minus seven to minus eight or nine, and our model stays at 10, we have a better chance to win that bet over the course of a thousand games when we are betting against the sharps because we're getting extra points. So it's really the line movement you're betting against, right? So you're, well, our models don't change. Our models don't change unless there's injuries or, you know, if there's, if there's, and again, this is all assuming no injuries or no other circumstances. This is just assuming. The, sure. Yeah. Not necessarily a bad thing to do. But I, I guess the implication would be the people who are moving those lines, whether they're sharp, squares, public, whoever, are, 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 are going to be losing more than the vague because they're pushing that line in the wrong direction. It, that, that's right. And again, you can check our record and you can see where lines opened and you can see every single one of our picks. And when we post a line, you can assume our model obviously likes that side before the line move because, again, unless there's no injury information. And you could look at our record and see what our record is in those games. 
right? Versus the opposite. And we do better when we're going against sharps, meaning again, because we get the extra points, not saying at the time the sharp likes at the time we like it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that at the time we release from when the lark moves from opening to when we put out, our record is better than if the line, if the sharps are on our side. So to paraphrase that, your, your, your angle is that the market is overreacting to whatever money is moving the lines um, early or earlier in the week. So that would be an interesting little uh, theory. Somebody mm-hmm. has a lot And everyone can test it. That's why all our picks are publicly available, so everyone can test that. All right. So we'll, we'll leave it up to the, our, our, uh, our wonderful listeners to, to dig deeper into that. Um, so, so, again, back to last Sunday, this is something that's really interested me personally. So you've got 18 plays. And, 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 yeah, you're looking at size, total, spreads, everything. Um, and, and, obviously, your model is going to spit out a projected win probability for, for each of them. And let's assume for now these are all, um, you know, totals or spreads or, or, you know, even money-ish bets. Those 18 plays, you're going to have some kind of threshold. Maybe it's 54 or 55% where, where you're going to release everything where your win probability is above that threshold. But there's no way, if your threshold is, let's say, 55%, there's no way all 18 are at 55. You probably have a pretty wide spread from 55 at the, the lowest up to who knows what at the highest. Do you, do you have a sense of what that range looks like? Do you, do you Absolutely. Have against a spread that are 80, 85, 90% according to your model? No, we, we obviously do not have anything against the spread that's 80, 90%. I, I would believe the model would be broken at that point. We do give uh, plays out at 3.5% edge above the market or more, um, but we don't get that. Believe it or not, I know this is going to sound crazy with all the plays we release, there are a lot more plays that are above that uh, threshold that we do not release, but that's mo- that could be model-related issues. So we, obviously, Billions models, we know what goes into it. We know, like again, doing like Bayesian models, priors, if things change with certain teams that we feel like our model might be off, we have the right to veto. We never have the right to add. So if there's a play yeah, at like... like a manual filter that, that goes on top of these models. Exactly. So if they, But we never, there's no manual, like if we have a 3% edge and we actually really like the play and I think our models are light, we will never play it. But if we have a 5% edge and we don't like it, we might not release that. So I want to make it clear. We're not releasing every single one. Filter, give me a sense, if you can, of what that range looks like. So you're, you're, you're sure, so, your range is 3.5% edge. How high do you go on, on like a, a, a 50-50, like a spread or a, or a total proposition? We've seen, we've seen numbers. I think our highest one was 64.3% we had. Which was again? That's a that's an out. These are over three thousand games. You're asking me. That was like one outlier. There's there has to be no more than, uh, no more than of the three thousand plays. I, I highly doubt there was more than, you know, a hundred of the three thousand that were over sixty percent. I mean, almost everything is between you know again the fifty six and fifty eight percent that we that we do. But again, the range does again that that was one like kind of a. Kind of a crazy play. But to your point about how we manually defer, it's like, I'll I'll give you a good example in college basketball. So like Savannah State was one of the most fast-paced, up-tempo teams for the last three years. And their totals indicated that, and we were on overs. It was great. And then all of a sudden, we had like over like 177. They scored like 132 points. And I'm watching this game, and now they're walking the ball across half court, talking to their coach, like to call a play not like run up and shoot a three, which is what they normally do. So like our models aren't going to take recency bias into effect of like one game. We go over three years. So we now, we now our model will show an edge of like 15% on the over, but we know that that model's wrong because they've completely changed the style of play. So we just don't bet that. Right. For sure. Uh, I mean, this is kind of the, the next frontier of analytics in my opinion is what's the best way to combine 
a data and, and a model with, with, with human judgment. So that's a, that's a good example of that. Um, so let's, uh, let's come back to closing line value, if you don't mind, because we, we touched on it earlier. But your plays, um, from what you've said on Twitter, get maybe a little bit of closing line value, but not enough to sort of, of, of rationalize the, the, um, the results you're getting. So how do you feel about closing line value, and, and why do you think it is or isn't important? So closing line value is 100% predictive of performance in a pre-bet scenario, okay? So if you're getting good closing line value, you're more likely to win. However, it is not the best example of closing line, of, of determining if your bet's going to win. We use in-game examples to judge our picks that we made. So for example, um, you know, if there was a... Uh, team total of Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 10 points they'll score in this game. They get 550 yards of offense, right? Uh, you know, and we took the over. That's a positive expected value bet. You get it. That's all the, that's all the facts you know. If team's going to get 500 yards of offense, of course, like 90 plus percent of the time, they're going to score more than 10 points. Now against the Redskins last year, they had over 500 yards and they scored three points. Now what happens if that line moved from 14 to 10? Right now, if we're using closing line value, we're saying that was a bad, that was a negative expected value bet. Right? I would say that no, in retrospect, that we grade all our plays after the fact to know if it was a good bet or not using purely quantitative analysis. There's no guessing. It's not like, oh, that was a bad beat. We because we model out every single play and we model out, you know, the expected points of every single play. So we can go back and we could say, hey, look, you know, they had expected 36 points that game, even though they only scored three. Right? So that was a positive expected value bet. Doing that over time is far more predictive than closing line value in terms of if you are in, terms of in the future, will you con- will you continue winning or not? And you have two choices, closing line value or looking at the expected points scored in a game versus the actual and compare that to your model. That's a much better predictor of future winnings or losings. Okay, so I'm partly with you and partly not. I talk about yards gained. As, as Yards game was a bad example. It's more like the yeah. expected. Yeah, I, I just said that to try to oversimplify. Because I, I, I got your point. So these, there are these things that are, that are that are proxies for the actual thing you're betting on. That 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 there could be games where the the proxy sets up well for you, but you lose anyway. And I would argue there are probably the same number of games where the proxy looks bad, where they they get 120 yards and score 30 points anyway because of special teams and, and turnovers, that, that they're going to happen both ways. Absolutely. And I don't think it's necessarily related to closing line value because the, the, those things, whether it's yards gained or whatever your proxy is, are, are a, a priori, they're not known either. Correct. So all that's known up until the, the close is, is the, the movement in the market. So I think the theory behind closing line value is that as you get closer to the close, the market reflects all information that's known such that if, the, if, if your line improves between your bet and the close, that would be a signal that your win probability is higher and, and, and vice versa. So I think it's, the question of proxies is, is a little a little bit um, outside of, of, of the CLB question. No, I, I didn't see that. That's where I firmly disagree. I agree with every single thing you just said, except for the CLV question. If we're talking about just CLV, if we're asking, if we, this is, this is the question that I think people should be asking. Here's a record of 1000 plays. Okay. They went 600 and 400. They pick at 60%. What's the likelihood 
of that group or that person being able to predict at 60% in the next 1,000 plays, right? To me, right now, people use closing line value. They'll say, look, you know, he didn't get any good closing line value, so it's extremely, you know, I don't believe that they're going to, in his next 1,000 plays, I don't think he's going to be successful because he didn't get good closing line value, right? There are people that believe that. But I believe if I see those 1,000 plays and I run them through our simulation model and to see what actually happened in that game and what the expected score was, and I give them a record of, shoot, they were actually should have been 650, and even though they didn't get any closing line value, they should have been 650 and 350 with how the games played out. I would argue, and I, and I know this mathematically, that, that they are much more likely to win in the next 1,000 plays than if we only looked at closing line value. That's what I'm they're, saying. They're, they're likely conditional on your model being correct, and I think that's that, that's the question I wrestle with, not only in this No, no, it's not. Model. It's not. Epistemic uncertainty is you have a model, and it's the best model you can build, but you never really know for sure whether it's right, whether it's wrong, where it's flawed, where it performs well. And I think that's, that's where CLV can be useful because there's really the only way that you can win without CLV over the long term is if you have picked up on an angle or some piece of information that the market, even at the close, isn't isn't there on, and which we have angle or information is predictive. And in something like college basketball, you know, it's more likely compared to something like the NFL, where, where maybe you're looking at things the market isn't seeing. But really, that's that's how you win without CLV. Do you agree? And that's what we do. It's exactly how we win without CLV. We have data. We have information that nobody else is able to have. We have exclusive rights to data and the things that we do with the data that we have, nobody else has. So that's exactly, precisely what we do. Okay, so that brings me, to, we're, we're segueing nicely because I only have a couple of questions left. Um, first one is about sustainability because if, if we if we accept the, the proposition that your models and your picks do have value and that they are able to beat the closing line, uh, it will not take very long for your numbers to get bet into oblivion before 99% of your customer base even opens their email. And, and, and once that happens for a couple of weeks... I disagree. Let, let me start. You're going to ask several questions. Let me answer that one. I, disagree. Yeah. I could not disagree anymore because yeah. in order for that to happen, right, the market, which is basing their market movements on all these sharps, right, all these sharps are betting one way. Now, they're gonna, the market, if, in order for you to be right, the, the market's going to say, you know what? All these sharps that we're basing all these line movements on, you know what? They're not right anymore, but Jambos is right. That takes a long time. That should take a very, very, very long time for them to say uh, all... It's all perception, right? All it takes is people, if somebody has a $10 million bankroll and they decide that they believe you and you're right, they can move lines in a second. Is that true? Because from everything that I've heard is that, you know, you can have square bettors betting a lot of money that doesn't move markets, but then these sharp bettors, these pros can bet just a hundred bucks in the market moves. This is what I'm being told from Rufus and from, uh, you know, Preston, who's my partner in in Daily Wager. That's what they're telling me. They're saying square money doesn't move markets nearly as much as sharp money. So if I have this idiot bet, if Floyd Mayweather bets a million bucks on a game, that's not going to move the line. But if some sharp bets a thousand or Billy Walters bets... 10,000, that will move the line. So are you disagreeing with what, that? What if Billy Walters hears this and decides, yeah, this, this swimmer guy knows what he's doing. I'm going to buy his picks. Right, exactly. So if all the sharps in the world say, you know what, our stuff's not as good as Jambo's, right, and then subscribe to our picks, then absolutely that will happen. Do you believe that that's what's going to happen? 
Uh, all it takes is one. Like, no, it doesn't take one because let's say let's say one let's say Rufus decides he's gonna play all our picks and go all in right, but then everybody else, Billy, like all the other hundreds, how many other sharps there are, are against it. So it does not take one because you got a hundred people on the other side. It's got to take all of them, right? Um, depends how much they're aggressive to market. I mean, I think if I think if Rufus decided that he was all in on Jambos and he was gonna start betting your picks, I think he would move the markets pretty quickly. Even even uh, if all the other sharps besides Rufus were betting on the other side, uh, yeah, well, uh, there's, there's no there's no reason to believe they would. There's no reason. Yeah, the reason is because we are we are very often against the sharps. We are more often against the sharps than we're f- with them. That's why we don't get. That's exactly why. That's exactly why we don't get good closing. On the other way. I'm saying that's exactly why we don't get closing line value because we go against sharps a lot. Which is possible, but the sharps would have to. The, the sharps would, would get killed if, if if you're that right and they're that opposed to you. Like normally, you, you can only have one winning side per game. So normally, if there are a bunch of sharps that are each profitable, normally their their, their bets are going to be pretty correlated with each other because it is it's less than a zero sum game. It's a negative sum game. So someone's got to be losing all that money, right? Um, I not really. I mean, last week in the NFL, the casinos lost the money. It wasn't a zero sum game. It was positive for that one week. Obviously, over the long haul, yeah, you're yeah, you're right. And it, look, we're, we're both we're both trying to oversimplify this, right? I mean, it's not all or nothing. You know, not all sharps are always on the same side. You know, we're using these terms and these words, but the, the, we're trying to explain the. I think both of us are trying to explain. You know, in the example of of if we are and, and look, if we are on the opposite side of sharps. 60% of the time, right? But though on only those games and the Sharps win a lot more games and we have no opinion on that game, they could still be winning money but losing the games against us, then Sharps would be profitable. And we would be profitable. And so then the next step after, after Rufus has a couple of winning weeks with your picks is that Pinnacle picks up on this and they say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay 3000 bucks. I'm going to buy Schwimmer's picks. I'm going to move them on air as soon, as soon as they get the numbers. And that, that, that could happen as well. These books... Are not stupid. If that happens, so if, if, if we are sending out picks and on air the lines are moving like crazy, which has happened in the past to several betters. I mean, Dan, you know, I've heard rumors of other people. I haven't seen it myself, but apparently this does happen. That would mean that we are moving the market in a approximately $500 billion industry, right? I don't think that happens overnight, but if it does, we will then no longer be providing value to our subscribers, Right. And so if, if, they, if we still can't beat the close, right, the idea is if, if the line moves two or three points and we're still consistently beating the close, that's one thing. Right. But ideally, that's theoretically, that's very unlikely. And that's why we have our packages. This is what Jeff Ma always brings up. You know, at the end of the day, you can't provide long term value because all the books will move. Yeah. Define long term value. Is that two years? If you buy a one week, if someone buys our one week package. So if what you're saying is true and that we think we can beat the market and over time, you know, that's going to happen, they're going to move on air, then are you suggesting that people buy our one-week package, not longer packages? Because if you buy a longer package, there might be a time in there where they move over time, but you should buy the one week? I think there's certainly more vulnerability to, to that happening, to the market dynamic changing, the longer-term package that, that you're dealing with, for sure. Right. And I, and I, again, I personally, we, we've done this, and this is we've done this for over six months, free for everybody with this great record. It hasn't happened yet. So I don't know if it, it maybe I hope if you're right, you're right. And then again, the subscription service for us is not, you know, if, if we don't make, if, if we shut down the subscription service because the line's moving on air, that's a huge win for Jambos. I mean, that's a gigantic, right. that's the best win we could have as a company. Are and you the sub- to disclose your subscriber base, how many you have or not? 
No, we certainly can't do that. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Um, well, last question. Um, so, so your quant team, um, I, I've heard from you great things about them. Rupus has said great things about them. Um, the, the, the one thing that I think has people a little nervous is their lack or perceived lack of experience in actual betting markets. Because I think success in this field requires both predictive analytics and an understanding of market dynamics. How big of a problem do you see that lack of experience as, or is it even real? So it's not really, I mean, it's real. I'll just give you the facts and you can decide for yourself if it's real. Now we do have a couple people that have were placing bets and building models and placing bets on their own um, before coming to us. They were not, we have zero professionals at it. Professionals mean like they do it because that's like their own thing to make money. Like, I don't know, would you consider yourself a professional? You're an actuary now, but you're still throwing out bets. No, I'm, I'm, I do this recreationally. Yeah, exactly. So we had like people like you. We had a couple people like you that understood the markets that bet, but they weren't professional bettors, right? But it is true. It is very true that the vast majority, there was only like two of our whole team that did that, right? The vast majority of our team does not have experience in the sports betting space. They do have experience in sports and they have extreme experience in predicting outcomes of games. And that is what I believe that matters. And I, I, I agree with you that there should be a mix in the room. Some people know betting, some people don't, some people, you know, I mean, we have guys that are modeling sports that have no idea, you know, what, what the sport even that the rules of the sport, right? If we have a, if we have an eight man modeling team modeling the NFL, there's one guy that didn't know the rules, but he's an incredibly brilliant mathematician and he can figure out not, he's not the one creating models, but he is the one creating pieces of the models that again, are more mathematically driven, not, you don't need to understand the rules of the game if you're given a data set to be able to analyze it. So I believe coming out with a diverse perspective is is the right way to do it. And I think that, you know, again, our, our record has shown that that method has been successful and we hope it continues. All right. Well, we are an hour into this and I've, I've uh, pretty much gotten through everything that I had on my list. Any other topics you want to discuss? We are way over time and uh, I've got I've got to get back to work. But listen, I really appreciate having you on and uh, hopefully we can do it again some point. All right. Thanks for the conversation. Best of luck. All right. Thanks. Bye. And that concludes our Jambos podcast. Thank you all for listening. For Robbie Castro, I'm Michael Schwimmer. Good luck. Unless you're betting against Jambos. Jambos.